Hello there, and welcome to the SoSense 6 podcast. I'm your host, Yannick B, and I'm very excited to welcome you to the very first episode of this show. SoSense 6 is all about social enterprises in the city of Toronto. In the weeks to come, I will be introducing you to a lot of the people who work in social enterprises in Toronto. The goal of this show is to showcase the changes and positive impacts our local nonprofits and traditional businesses are having by using social enterprise models as part of their work. We will talk a lot about big vision on the show. I'm really interested in the different ways that new forms of capitalism can change the way we live, work, and consume. So whether you're curious, skeptical, or totally sold on the idea already, I really appreciate you listening in. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow SoSense 6 on Twitter for updates. And now, without further ado, let's jump straight into this week's episode, an interview with the founder of Detailing Nights, Mr. Ryan O'Neill Knight. So thank you for joining me on SoSense 6 today. Uh, Can I get you to introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. So my name is Sir Ryan O'Neill Knight, uh, founder and president of the Detailing Knights. Uh, you want a bit about what we do? Mm-hmm. Sure. So we run a mobile waterless car cleaning company. So we go to people's houses or their offices and clean their car right on the spot without using water. So instead of wasting about 100 gallons of water, we use about six ounces of our solution, reducing water waste by approximately 99%. And I guess for me, what I'm most excited about with our company is the actual youth entrepreneurship program we created. So we take at-risk youth that are in high school or college or out of school and pretty much teach them how to run their own little business using our company as a model and a guide. That's awesome. So let's just unpack some of that because you're doing a lot of stuff. Okay. So (laughs) first of all, the waterless car detailing, why... Why waterless? Like, what's your what was your attraction to that particular problem? Yeah, well, it wasn't so much an attraction to the problem mm-hmm. to begin with. It was more just a better way to clean cars to start. So instead of washing down the car, pre-rinsing it, soaping it up, and then having to dry it, well, then rinse it again, dry mm-hmm. it off, and then wax it, with this product, we're actually able to apply it once and get the clean and the protection at the same time. So it cut our detailing time in half with a better quality result. And we were able to operate in more places in the city where before we wouldn't have access to water. So now we're able to operate underground in parking garages, in an open parking lot. Pretty much we're way more mobile by switching to waterless. The product is better and the quality is better. So it was a no brainer. And now, when you add on the amount of water that you're actually reducing in waste, mm-hmm. it's a all the way around. So there sure. was no, there was no question to use the product for us. That's Once awesome. we saw that it actually worked. Yeah. How did you discover that product? Yeah. My father-in-law actually used to sell it cause there's a manufacturer in Las Vegas okay. that would, he was a distributor for. And so I don't know what happened. He stopped being a distributor, but he still had some and was cleaning his car with it. <laughs> and I started asking questions. I was like, oh, what is this thing? And he's like, oh, it's what I've been telling you about. But when somebody tells you that they can clean your car without water, you kind of d- can't process it right. until you see it. It's like, whoa, this thing's amazing. And now my brother was the big into detailing guy because I started a company with him. And so I showed him the product. He tested it was like, this is amazing, and that's where we started running off. Awesome. I didn't realize that you started the business with your brother. Yeah, so initially when I was laid off back in 2009, I was trying to go back to school, and I was thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to try this entrepreneurship thing. He was into cleaning cars, was doing it part-time. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to school for business admin. I was taking accounting. Mm-hmm. I was like, so I, I feel like I can handle the business side of it, We'll market it so that you can do the cleaning. And that was really the genesis of the company. Cool. So what what um, work were you in before that? I was working, oh my gosh, for a company named Bridges. I was their purchasing agent. So they work with assistive technology for special needs uh, individuals cool. that have trouble communicating. So I used to love, yeah, I loved it. And getting laid off was like that 
wake up call to mm-hmm. say, you know what, you're really not in control of your own destiny when you're employed by somebody else. Very so true. I figured this is the best time as any, a good as time as any to try running my own thing. Yeah. You took the dive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the jump, they call it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> cool, cool. So your youth entrepreneurship program, when did you start doing that? So that started materializing about 2013 when the company had grown bigger than my brother and I. And we were really trying to figure out how do we want to grow the company or scale it? Do we just want to have regular employees where they're pretty much waiting for instruction and uh, otherwise not doing anything and not really growing? uh, Pretty much whatever level you come in at is Mm -hmm. where you stay for a long time. And I didn't really like that concept. And I realized that when I started the company, there's a lot of resources available, but there's really just no one to guide you through the process and say, okay, this is the path to take. This is what you do first, second, whatever the road is. I was like, if we can, if I can teach what I've learned to somebody else, they could actually come into our company and grow to be partners instead of just employees. So now before we started approaching youth with the idea I really just looked deep into who I wanted to impact the most because when I was young, there was really no entrepreneur type opportunities where somebody would say, okay, here's what I know. Here's the company that I built. Use it to almost practice what entrepreneurship is like. And I felt like our company had really low barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. There's not a real, a lot, not really a lot of setup costs. Um, it's really low cost that a company like myself could front and then a student would be able to come in and get all the experience without a lot of the risk that's involved in entrepreneurship. Very cool. So Mm -hmm. you're using your lab as sort of a, not your lab, but your business as sort Mm -hmm. of an incubator for other businesses. Absolutely. And then after you go through our, cause it's kind of like a co-op placement and then a summer internship Mm -hmm. after that, we want to see them grow into their own businesses or if they actually really like working with us, then we've been able to groom a detailing night from scratch and into a person that will be with us for the long haul. So on both fronts, I feel like it's a success if they say, Hey, thanks for everything I've learned. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go launch my own social enterprise. Or if they say, I love working here. I'm just going to stay and keep growing. So your business basically started out as just, I'm going to detail cars, water Leslie. It's a great way to make money because I'm better than the other guys. And then it evolved into a social enterprise rather than you being like, I'm going to start a social enterprise right at the beginning, right? Absolutely. When it first started, it was like, I'm out of work and I need to make X amount a day. And that's kind of the story I tell to the students that come in. It's mm-hmm. like, when you're at your lowest you still like entrepreneurship can still be that tool that you use to build yourself out from scratch. It was like about $250 is what I had to my name and bought the equipment and really was knocking on doors every day. And then just over time, it just keeps growing and it gets to a point where you now transition into hiring a couple people to help. Mm -hmm. And it's just that it keeps continuing to build, but at the lowest, there's always something you can do to build yourself up. It's never over. That's great advice. (laughs) Well, it's like you always hear it, right? Persistence, persistence, never give up, blah, blah, blah. But for me, beyond just being persistent, it's just knowing you can always do something. Like at your lowest point, even I go to speak at detention centers and it's like when you're coming out, don't feel like all is lost because everything's not perfect. Mm -hmm. You can take these almost intangible skills you have and start a business and just from the first sale, just get the next one, get the next one, like one by one, just build yourself up from scratch. And yeah. for me, that's why entrepreneurship is so powerful. But the the image that especially the youth that we work with have of themselves is entrepreneurship is this big uh, Steve Jobs, uh, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg type, Bill Gates level of <laughs> entity where the the majority of small business owners or entrepreneurs are the, the people that have the shops along St. Clair or along Eglinton. And it's just these guys that started a small business, the electricians, the trades guys, and they're the ones that are running the economy, not these big public companies. It's these small independent people that have started businesses 
and all of them together have created this economy. Yeah. But they don't get all the fame. They don't get all the accolades to say, hey, have you heard of Sam's Barbershop? Like, it's very you don't true. hear about Sam's Barbershop, but he's running a small thing that is keeping our economy going. And we can tap into that. There, there's that, this level where I feel like it's around thirty to 40000 per year that if you're able to make that money as an entrepreneur, you can sustain yourselves. Right. And I feel like we have a platform to get a person from zero to 30000 a year. And then from there, now you're in control of where you want to go. You can say, listen, I want to build this into a $3 million business. Great. Go for it. The tools and resources are there for you. If you just want to stay around thirty, fifty thousand a year, you're you're living good. Your family can eat. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing wrong with just just that. And yeah, I feel like that gap in between mega entrepreneur and small guy making enough to eat is lost. Like they just feel like, oh, if I'm not a big entrepreneur, I can't start my own business. It's right. like no, the majority of people just have these niche small businesses that sustain them and make sure that they can eat. So you do a lot of speaking sort of engagements now, right? So what is it that you say to people that sort of gets them to realize that you don't have to be the Bill Gates sort of person or the Steve Jobs, you can start really small? Because I think that's like, it's like a heavy idea to convey to somebody, especially if they're in a dissension center. They're like, my life is over, I'm a criminal. Right. <laughs> and you really feel like you're at, at your lowest point from here. There's no upside. Like, yeah whatever happened, happened and I'm screwed. But I only can use my own experience because I've had conflict with the law. I didn't have like a smooth, um, I guess, time in high school and with academia. Like for me, my ADHD keeps me from sitting still for a long period of time. Yeah. And so going through like, I guess, a, the normal education process doesn't fit everybody. Exactly. So the ones that it doesn't fit, I've used entrepreneurship as that other option. And it's not to say, oh, entrepreneurship is going to fix everything. I call it like you're picking a new mental illness. Like entrepreneurship itself is this crazy Honestly, I've heard that, that so <laughs> much from other entrepreneurs, like in particular Dan Martin. Yeah. He's constantly talking about how like if you're already like mentally ill, entrepreneurship is kind of the thing for you. <laughs> I don't know why exactly, that is, but, but it's, it's so true. It's almost like a mental illness that you can now control. It's like, if you're depressed, you feel like you can't control it because it's outside of your limits. But if you're having a bad day as an entrepreneur because you didn't make enough sales, mm-hmm. you can turn that around by making more phone calls, call, like getting in touch with more people, bringing on smarter people, making a team. Like you have this issue like this entrepreneurship issue and you can fix it it's like it's in your hands to fix if you want to fix it and that type of control that type of power is lost on a lot of people that i've met that are struggling with different uh, mental illnesses Mm -hmm. and they just feel powerless so now instead of worrying about my adhd or depression depression i'm worried about making sure i'm making enough money to pay my employees and having that stress is way better than having a stress of feeling I can't get out of bed. Yeah. It's like, no, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down, but I can pull myself out. And that to me, oh, it's so powerful just to know you're in control of what is affecting you. Yeah. And usually you don't have that choice. So for me, I would pick entrepreneurship over whatever other ailments that you're going through. So if you're in a detention center, and you know, okay, you're going to come out and have this label as an ex-con. You can now pick the label of entrepreneur and walk into a room and people see you as a businessman and they don't see you as an ex-con. Because as an entrepreneur, you don't have to check any boxes. Nobody's giving you an application mm-hmm. to fill out. You just need to execute whatever service product that you're selling. If you execute, your your credit, your street credit is going to grow. And the more you can build it up, the more you can get word of mouth all these things that you're in control of now your destiny is in your hand. You can say, okay, I want to do business with this person. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at me as a criminal. They're looking at me as, is this a good business fit? And when you can take down the different barriers that people think are on them. And even with mental illness, you have the stigma that you put on yourself. It's like, Oh, 
I have depression and I can't be yeah. calling CEOs or calling companies to do business with them. It's like, no, like I'm a businessman. I have something to offer. I'm going to call this guy to offer my business. If he wants it, great. He didn't say no because I have this issue. He said no because he doesn't want my service. And the next person that says yes, they didn't say yes because I have an issue. They said yes because my service is valuable. And that's where I feel like the social enterprise industry kind of gets lost where you pick you pick something that you're supporting, but that becomes the message that you're putting out when the message should be, I have a wicked product, I have a yeah. wicked service. If you buy from me, you're getting good quality and good value. And as a bonus, we're doing all these great things. So whether we're doing the great things or good, yes or no, the fact that you have something that people want to buy right. is what's going to make you sustainable. And from there, you can just grow as big as you want because you're just providing value as much as you can. Right. So the important thing is to have a remarkable, incredible product that people want. And then you have the final hook, which is like, and we're also doing amazing things in our community. <laughs> Absolutely. And who can compete with a company that can match you on quality, match you on price, but is also taking kids out of poverty and helping them to get jobs, taking um, people that need more assistance with mental health mm -hmm. and helping them be more empowered. Like if a, if a customer is looking at both companies and saying, okay, one company does the exact same thing I need, but with the money, they're going to buy a hot tub. And another <laughs> company is doing the exact same thing can deliver. And with the money, they're going to invest it into my community. It's almost a no-brainer. It, it, it is a no-brainer. And that's where I feel, like, especially with the B Corp certification, the market is slowly going to shift to where companies are competing with other companies and matching them blow for blow, but then they can add on that they're actually making the world a better place. Any company that's not making the world a better place is going to be, uh, what's the word I'm trying to look? I want to say dismissed, but... They're going to either have to change or go bankrupt because nobody want to buy from them. That's true. And that's where I feel it's very small now, but as the community keeps growing and the word keeps getting out there, customers are going to look at that more and more and more. And then once it gets to critical mass where that one of the first three questions is, okay, what are you charging? Yeah. Can you execute? And how are you? What is your social impact? Right. Exactly. Like a company has to answer that third question, and if it's oh, we're not doing anything for the community, well, Bye. my business is going to go to the detailing nights because they actually are, and my son's friend worked for them, and they're amazing. You know, like it's going to connect deeper locally. Where now you have to be doing something locally to compete, and right now it's not there. But once it gets there, everybody's going to be falling in line with social enterprises. Yeah. Um, with a lot of the other people I've spoken to so far, that's sort of like everyone's dream. They want to see social enterprises become the default <laughs> business model. And honestly, right. why not? <laughs> you know, it's sort of, I think of it as sort of like cleaned up capitalism. You're still making money. You're still running a business that's scalable, mm -hmm. but you're also doing good at the same time. And there's really no reason why right. this can't be a default. Absolutely. And because the problem with the original social enterprises are nonprofit companies starting a business to make extra revenue. Yeah. But the business that they start isn't better than their competition. It's just people will buy from the nonprofit's business because, because they, they know the nonprofit. But a person can only buy an inferior product for so long before they're like, well, Going I really back. want to support, but the shoes I'm buying from you aren't good. So. <laughs> Or, or I already have that shoe. Like, what else do you have? And even, like, everybody wants to start a t-shirt business. Like, oh, we're going to start a social enterprise. We're, we're going to sell t-shirts. <laughs> like, yeah, but people can only buy so much t-shirts and from you for so long. And so just for me, like, using card detailing, it's finding more services that are, I don't want to say essential, but let's say we want to move into house cleaning. We want to move into landscaping. What are these services? Like, we want to move into a full car maintenance. So when your car needs an oil change, we'll pick it up, get it done, bring it back. Like, taking those chores out of a person's life, now you're making that person's life way better. For sure. And your business is doing a lot for the community. So if you can compete with 
compete with things that people need done mm-hmm. and do it as good or better than your competition and support the community, I feel like that's where you're going to get that repeat business. If you're just selling something that is the nice to have, where you just, last week, we still have them. We don't really need 10 more of them. So your whole social enterprise goes under because you, your, your market isn't buying anymore because right. they don't really need that thing that you're selling. Yeah, I think that's that's really important for people to bear in mind because there are a lot of social enterprises that have started out in nonprofits and they're just kind of like, well, we need to make extra money. We don't have the donations, so we'll do this small thing right. for now. And there's not a lot of thought about how can we how can we make our product remarkable? How can we give our community what they want? How can we make money from this? How can we actually Right. merge like our commercial activities with our impact activities to make both of them more sustainable. Yeah. Well, I just feel like it's that you have people that are running a nonprofit that are also trying to run almost like a for-profit at the same time, but with the it same It takes a different sort of mentality, right? It, exactly. And it's how do you switch it to almost like that clean capitalistic idea where, okay, we need to make as much money as possible but not in a slimy way, right. just because this is a business on itself that we want to grow as big as possible. Because the bigger that that side hustle becomes, now if that side hustle can become your like primary uh, funding dollars, mm-hmm. you don't have to go out and fundraise anymore. Like that is, exactly. If you only have to fundraise because it's a bonus, and the nonprofit model would uh, it. Would, <laughs> it becomes so much more valuable. Like, you know, like it would survive any hardship because now they're relying exactly. on a donor that could change their mind. A donor that if you don't fulfill all their requirements, will just cut funding. Yeah. And I've, oh man, like just recently. <laughs> I, I know because I've spent Meals like, on Wheels. Yeah. I spent a lot of time working <laughs> with nonprofits. That's like where I'm coming from with this. Yeah. And, once I got introduced and to social so enterprises, see, like, I'm like, why isn't everybody doing this? <laughs> How are they not all doing this already? Because right. donors and are so fickle. The one that, and, and that's the thing. It's like, it's very uh, unstable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then their expenses get so big. Yeah, because you can't at one plan point, they get a lot it. of donors. And then boom, they like need a million dollars. And a donor that was giving 900K says no. And doors just shut. It's like game over. Sorry, no matter how much good they were doing, That's because it. that one donor changed your mind, it's game over. Mm-hmm. And that hurts. It it's does. like to see a company that's doing such remarkable things send an email that says, uh, you know what, our financial situation changed and we have to close. Yeah. It, it just, it raises, it, it, it hurts. And it's like if they had been able to structure the company even even if they structured in a way that it can scale and grow with whatever donors they get, mm-hmm. but it's not reliant on getting X amount of donations to keep the doors open. Because let's say they need a million, but they can operate with ten thousand. Like they, there should be that wiggle room to right. say, okay, we only got X amount of donations. This is how we're going to operate this year. We got max donations. This is how we can operate. But when it's you get max and you operate at max and you can only operate at max. That's when it's going to, Oh man, I've you, yeah. we've seen like the it's super fragile. That, so. It's so fragile. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. I am. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure, but I think it would take a lot of contingency planning to be like, if we get this amount, we do this. If we take this amount, we do that. And a lot of nonprofits are just not mm. that well organized. Because they're so volunteer based. <laughs> right. And like, when you do proposals, them. it's like, well, we need 50K for this salaried position. Yeah. Or even grant so writing the... is like a nightmare. So true. So true. And then your whole business becomes, your, like, a whole division of your business is raising money. Yeah. It's like, okay, we need grant writers. We need volunteers to call and collect funds. Mm-hmm. It's like, Man, imagine you can put all that manpower to more of the work that you're already doing. Yeah, I mean, just like the fact that they are... Multiply. 
companies where you can outsource your fundraising to them is sort of worrying in itself. Right. <laughs> now there's a whole other company that you're paying. And if you can't afford their fees, then that's it for you. You're not, right. you're not bringing any donors either. Right, right. So well, that's just to show you how lucrative fundraising can be. Like you can create a whole business just offering your services of fundraising to a nonprofit. Yeah. So that's wild. It is. It is sort of weird. And really, that's where I want to take our company to the next level, where instead of, because we're franchising it, but we don't want to franchise and sell it to just a regular investor. Mm-hmm. We'd rather see a nonprofit that wants to start a social enterprise, and they'd be able to buy our social enterprise franchise, and, and they now have everything that they need to operate it. That's an instead interesting idea. Instead of trying to idea. figure it out all on their own, we want to create that almost business in a box yeah. that a nonprofit can purchase Turnkey. and start making money for themselves just by running our our business. So that's really where I'm trying to go with the um, the social enterprise aspect of our company and how to franchise it and not just be selling it to investors that are looking mm-hmm. to make bottom line, but investors that the bottom line is helping out great cause. That's awesome. No, I'll say we shall see. It's in development, so it has to be. Executed. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it because it sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, I appreciate that. Thank you. I think one of my favorite books is the E Myth Revisited, and right, yeah, Gerber talks about you know building a turnkey business that you can basically sell to someone in a box, and like if you're selling to nonprofits right. so they can use your business model as a way to scale their impact, that's that's amazing. So all the no, best, I appreciate all that. the best Thank with you. it. I'll be staying. Yes, yes. I'll be watching. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, excellent. <laughs> Can you tell me about another social enterprise operating in Toronto that you feel is doing amazing work right now? Yeah, this. It's uh, a good question because there's a few that I know personally. Mm-hmm. I know. Um. Oh my gosh. I'm going to say their name wrong, but it's like Geek something. Free Geek? And they... Re- Free Geek. Yeah, yeah I love those guys. The guys that work there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like meeting them was so cool. Is and Shannon then, still their ED? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I've only met Frontline. I haven't met their uh, back office. Okay. Yeah. And then because one that is operating called A-Way Courier, they are doing great things with persons that have suffered mental illnesses and are trying to make ends meet, they are now able to be hired by A-Way Courier as delivery men. Awesome. And that's able to supplement their income. So they have been big fans of, follow them. And yeah, no no other names come to mind. But (laughs) A-Way Courier is like, I'm a big fan of theirs. Free Geek, I'm a big fan of. And trying to figure out like the connection of social enterprises in Toronto. Because right now there's a divide between for-profit companies that are mm-hmm. running a social enterprise and non-profit companies that start a social enterprise. They're not seen like in the same pool. Yeah, so there's not to really much of a... bring everybody together. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of part of what like, I'm trying to do with the podcast together, and like right? tracking them down and mm-hmm. talking to everybody, maybe create more of a community. That's, that's amazing. And that's what I feel like the B Corp community needs to reach out to like, um, I think it's social enterprise Toronto to say, okay, you guys have one definition of social enterprise. We have another definition. Let's bring it together. And now as a powerhouse, go lobby the government and say, okay, this is what social enterprise definition we've come up with. Mm -hmm. And this is what we'd expect the government to treat us like, or we have to start lobbying for, different perks because I feel we're doing more good than the traditional capitalistic model. For sure. But we're all lumped into the same group. So let's say it's a better tax rate for being a social enterprise or you just get some sort of benefit for being a social enterprise that will now bring people that are starting a business and trying to decide how to structure it. They're like, well, if I do good, I'm going to get better treatment from the government than if I just run it and only care about shareholder value. I'm yeah. going to get the same treatment, so I might as well make as much money as possible because there's no benefit to my bottom line. But if the government can step in and make something 
yeah, something that entices people to become social enterprises, mm-hmm. I think that will fast track that whole market shift we were talking about earlier. I think it's starting to happen, but like you were saying, I think a lot of the big a lot of the big organizations that are involved in sort of incubating social enterprises or helping them promote themselves need to sort of join forces because there are quite a few of them. They just don't seem yes. to know about each other or talk to each other. Like there's Ashoka, right. here, which is global. There's okay. um, Social Enterprise Toronto, I think you mentioned. There is a school for right. social entrepreneurs, but again, it's all sort of disjointed and people are here, <laughs> there. There's a center for social innovations and they have a lot of social enterprises there, but you know. Right. Like for me, whoever is the biggest of the group should take the lead and be like, okay, we will be the hub. <laughs> now somebody go out and find everybody that's doing the same thing yeah, and bring them here, you know, and let's build the hub, right? If it's CSI, if it's Toronto, Social Enterprise Toronto, wherever mm-hmm. it is, I think they need to step up and be like, okay, we want to take the lead on this and write down that agenda and then everybody else just execute yeah. and figure out, okay, if we're trying to get to this end game of Social Enterprise being the go-to structure, what does that look like? What what can be done in a lobby perspective? What can mm-hmm. be done just as a collective network of people or companies yeah, there's so much we could do as a combined force, I feel. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things I hear a lot from people is it's really hard to attract like good talent. I guess the other thing is okay, because a lot right. of people come from nonprofit backgrounds or used to doing things sort of in the nonprofit way. Sort of like Right. It's a little bit siloed. And I guess pure capitalism is like that as well. So it will take a little, yeah. It'll take some work, but I think we're gonna get there. You know, with various people <laughs> agitating in different ways. Absolutely, like you can't kill the the mission. So yeah. and people mission, are excited you know, about it's it. Like small, and that's the thing. So it's just gonna keep growing. And I feel like since we're all moving in the same direction, if we can somehow strategize on how to fast track it, because yeah. we're gonna eventually get there. But how do you, like, what strategic things can be done right now that can fast track that timeline? And it just takes a matter of sitting down with the people, the stakeholders that are involved and saying, okay, everybody has this goal. What can each person bring to the table now to fast track us getting to that goal? And then every, whatever intervals we need to meet at and figuring out, yeah, just keeping on course, Mm -hmm. trying trying not to lose social enterprises to capitalism because they're able to make more money that way or oh, whatever yeah. it is. We want to keep the community together without us, without too many um, barriers. Yeah. And keeping it honest as well, because it's very easy to use a label like the organics label has become Absolutely. such a ridiculous right. thing where you just kind of pay for it <laughs> after the fact. You're like, Oh, I've yes. done certain things to like offset <laughs> my carbon emissions. And now you get to be certified. Right. Like, but, but no, <laughs> You didn't actually stay with the spirit of what this is about. Right. Yeah. So I think that's going to be one of the challenges. That's why I love um, with the assessment that B Corp or B Lab does, because now a person that says, okay, we're eco-friendly and we're socially conscious, they actually get assessed and say, okay, well, show us how are you treating your workers? How are you eco-friendly? How are you impacting the community? And at least if you don't, qualify right away you can now go back to the drawing board and learn how to in- improve your business I mean, okay these are the areas that are a shortfall this is how we're going to improve and it's just almost keeping yourself accountable for all the great great things that you're saying you do mm-hmm. now you can prove it and i feel like if it's either it's going to be b lab or some other maybe it's a government certification maybe the government takes over b lab and says okay we're going to use no. you as a certification <laughs> so that People just aren't slapping a certification label on their company. It's like, no, you have to go through a process. And this is the process to get these perks. But nobody's going to go through the process if there's not enough perks for, you know, like for that assessment. Even for us, it was like me sitting down doing the assessment took, oh man, I think it took two weeks and it was supposed to take like two days. Wow. So what is it it actually like, the B Corp assessment? (laughs) 
So it's really going into, uh, like, for your workers, what uh, benefits you have in place, how much are you paying them, is it a living wage? Mm-hmm. Well, first, is it above minimum wage? Is it above mi- living wage? And, like, what what kind of uh, board of directors do you have? All these questions that you have up in your head, yeah. but you don't really have on paper. And it's like, okay, you have to go back Look and actually put this on paper and show us. You have to put what benefits pregnant women have in your company on paper wow. and show us. It can't just be in the ether. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You have to run. You have to run a real business, man. Like you're running a business. Let's get serious. And if that's what it takes, then. And on top of that, if there was, let's say, a corporate tax rate break, then more people are going to take the assessment because they're going to want to save that bottom line. But by taking the assessment, now you're opening yourself up to scrutiny. Exactly. So if you're just doing it to get that benefit, you're not going to get it. Well, in order to get it, exactly. You have to become better anyway to get it. So then the them becoming better benefits everybody. And so if there's a way to get more people to do good, then I feel even if on the very underneath, they're just doing it for the money, if they still have to run a better company than they were running yesterday, Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a win. For sure. So after you've done the B Corp assessment, do they send you like feedback? I know on their website, they have everything posted by rank. Like for your company, it's like... They scored this in employee satisfaction. They scored this in like environmental impact. But do they send you like a personalized right. feedback sort of thing where they're like, this is how you can improve? They do. So you get the entire assessment and you see the different areas that you didn't score well in. And also when you finish it initially, you get a phone call from, I guess, uh, I won't say a project manager, but mm-hmm. like a case manager that goes through every single question with you to say, okay, you answered this, it could be better, Uh, you didn't answer this, or you're doing bad here, this is where you you could be doing this to be better, or this is how you track or measure your environmental impact. So it's not just you go online, finish the assessment, and you get a passing grade, and everything is processed. It's like you do the assessment, you get a phone call, you go through the assessment in detail, and then you submit all the proper documents, and then your assessment is, then you're certified. So, and every two years, you have to recertify. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's pretty thorough. Yes, yes. They stay on top of you. I agree, yes. I'm a fan <laughs> of them. That's like, whenever I'm looking for yeah, jobs, yeah. I kind of start with B Corp. I'm like, I want to work for B Corp. Uh, Why not? <laughs> yes, yes. That <laughs> was no, so good. Okay, I wanted to ask you, though, about how you choose uh, people for your your entrepreneurship sort of incubator program. What's the official name yeah, of the program? Yeah, so I guess we have... Good question, because we played with Knighthood Academy. That That's would be nice. the division that we run the youth program through, mm-hmm. and also car cleaning students. So Knighthood Academy is more the in-class workshops. This is the overview of entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and then car cleaning students is the applied you're running a mini area to pretty much take what you learned in class and now do it in real life. So those are the two divisions of the company. And we partner ourselves with different organizations. Like a big one is skills for change and learning enrichment foundation so that they already have youth that they work with. Mm -hmm. And now we're able to add our curriculum. So those youth come to work with us and this year is more getting into high schools, high schools that already have business programs mm-hmm. so that we can offer a business type. The first entrepreneurship co-op placement is my main goal for this school year. So mm-hmm. right now it doesn't exist. We're going to be the ones to create it and execute it. So we have Sheridan College on board where the student that goes through the co-op entrepreneurship program would actually get accreditation from Sheridan College. Cool. So once we kind of pilot that, we want to reach out to more colleges and say, listen, we need more people on board. We need more organizations on board. We need every single high school on board. If we can start in like start adding to a high school curriculum just this co-op piece, mm-hmm. I think that's our foot in the door to show that entrepreneurship can be a powerful learning tool. Excellent. 
All the best with that as well. You guys yeah. have really big dreams. Yeah. Loving it. <laughs> yeah. And then what? And for me, like when we talk about franchising, it's like okay, everything, all the players that we put in place, all the curriculum that we put in place, and the execution of it, we can now take that as like a a kit and go to another country yeah. or another city and go to a high school and say, this is what we did here in Toronto, here in Brampton, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Or it can be tweaked to whatever you're doing, and now they can take that. And the mega vision is for every high school, every college in the world where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. They could be ha- they could have this kit to get people started with social enterprises. Right? And I feel like, because entrepreneurship right now, all the resources are geared towards people that have that kind of entrepreneurship itch already. Like they have yeah. an idea, they can go to Futurepreneur, they can go to a funding source and or an incubator and get lots of help. But how do you attack students that don't realize they have the potential? How right. do you get their toe in the water to say, hey, you might not think that you're going to be a good entrepreneur, but try it. And if you try it and like it, then boom. Now that's another option for you instead of the regular education path. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's more about that starting point. There's already a lot of resources for people that have hit the ground running, have an idea, and they can go and accelerate. But how do we get more students or more youth to figure out they have the potential and get them to try entrepreneurship at that base level? Get into it, man, then see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, just realizing so, yeah. it's an option. Like, you don't have to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. It, exactly. And just having options, yeah. Because yeah. right now, if you fail at the first option, you feel like life That's is over. It. And, sure. oh, my parents said I need to go to university. I didn't get good enough grades in university right. or to get into university. And now what am I going to do? That's it. Well, Work at there's McDonald's. other options. So, yeah. And it's like, whoa, that isn't <laughs> your only option. Like, exactly. Just showing people the multiple options that are out there is going to... I feel like that is a mega mission of mine. It's a great mega mission. (laughs) So my final question that I like to ask everyone, and you sort of shared a big vision with me already, but that was sort of a big mission, a big vision for your business in its current state. What is your biggest, most fantastical vision for a society in general? Like, what sort of world would you love to live in if you could create it from scratch? Uh, from scratch, it. Uh, I guess to give labels to it, it would be the mix of capitalism and communism. Mm-hmm. There's a way that it's almost figuring out that threshold of how much money do you need to make in order to be good. So if you make, let's say it's 100000 So you make up to one hundred k, and everything above that is now going to be reinvested into people that are struggling. Because right now, philanthropy is based on a person that's making excess amount of money having the heart yeah. to now if they reach feel back like and it. help people that are struggling. So imagine it's not to say... Everybody, like communism, everybody is on this even playing field. Everybody's going to make the same. Mm -hmm. And nobody can make more than, let's say, 20K. It's like, no, you can make up to 100. Maybe it's a million. You make up to a million. But now you're good. So even you're great. So you're great. If you're great, everything excess should now be reinvested to bring, even if it's to bring people up to, let's say, 30K. Mm -hmm. You're not making a million and 30 and keeping it. You know you're making a million and that 30 is going to now reinvest into somebody else that's going to bring them up, help them be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And now they have the base, the foundation to get to a million. And when they get to a million, they know excess is going to come back down and keep reinvesting. So not looking at people that haven't succeeded as failures and looking down on them and saying, oh, if you're a bum whatever because pretty much we say you're in control of your own destiny so if you succeed it's because you did well Mm -hmm. if you fail it's because you did bad it's like no anything could happen in people's lives that really devastate them and to say okay you had a bad go something bad happened whatever it may be you get another chance our society is built exactly to give you another chance 
and it's just ingrained in our capitalistic ways that you get to a certain level and you know everything above that is just going to bring up more people. Can you get people on board with that? I have no idea. But <laughs> I feel like that's what I'm doing when I, I make a certain amount. And my goal is when I hit that amount, everything in excess gets reinvested. And it's at different stages. So at this stage, I make up to 50K. Everything above it gets reinvested. The next stage, it'll be 100K. Everything above it gets reinvested. And for me, I sleep better at night knowing that I my family is good. I feel great. I'm not like stressed about money personally. Mm-hmm. And now that that excess money can go into bringing somebody else up to where I was three years ago. And just knowing like uh, it, it felt so good when I got to that level after the struggle, like yeah. two, three, four years of struggling, you get to a point where things are a lot better. Things are good. I can now sleep well without like stressing about bills. And when you're not worried about food, you're not worried about shelter, you're not worried about um, your bills, like you have room to play. Like you now can start taking risks. You can start thinking of what you actually want to do and execute and have time to meet with people that can better yourself. You just have all this free time to, well, not a lot, but you have more free time to say, I'm going to work on something that my my values align with. Because a lot of times you need to just make money to make ends meet. And then that just takes up all your time. So if you can release release a person's free time and say, okay, don't worry about money. Society has you on that. Now build yourself up. But I guess it will also take people wanting to be the best them that they can possibly be. Because if you have to go and pick somebody else up every day, you'll be doing that forever. Like yeah. They have to want to pick themselves up and the resources that are in place for them to access. So. Yeah, there's mega vision. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. We shall see, right? We shall yeah, see. We will I'll see. run for prime minister and then we'll implement that. All right. I'll we'll call it Ryanism, not not communism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are scared of that word, and I'm just like, relax, people. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything has its pros and cons, and us now be having experienced all the different pros and cons of different models in society i feel like we should be able to create something that is a hybrid of Of all these other things that that have gone by bad and create something i don't say like utopian but create something that is better for everybody and use that as the base and say okay how can we fine-tune this and just like entrepreneurship man you trial and error trial and error yeah i feel like now we're stuck into you know different um we're a capitalistic society or they're a communist society or they're a socialist society. And then you're stuck in that. There's I think no we're stuck wiggle. in maintaining whatever status quo is already in place. And we're also stuck exactly. in very binary thinking. So you're either capitalist or you're communist. If you're, there's no gray area right. anymore, right? Like <laughs> you're either left or you're right. Yeah. You're either all for one thing or you're all for another thing and nobody remembers that you know there are gray areas most things are a scale there's a normal distribution curve and just design (laughs) thinking in general like if you have a system Mm. and there are certain problems with it you can always address those problems individually instead of throwing away the whole system and like starting over with the opposite exactly and i don't know if that maybe that's a generational thing but it's something like yeah i don't know and really because government their main purpose is to maintain what is happening so i don't feel like we can rely on especially since they profit that are in government right because they're whatever they are doing to like succeed they don't want to mess with that nobody wants to rock the boat so it has to come from outside to say okay you guys maintain what is good and we will add additional good things to what we're already doing Mm -hmm. try and eliminate the bad and bring in more good just fine-tune and keep growing but like you said people like the status quo they're comfortable with it just don't ruin this for me like i got a job i got a job for life it's also because we have very strict ideas 
Like, there's a strict definition of what it means to be successful in our society, and people don't want to depart right. from that. Yeah, yeah. But, like, there are very many different ways to be successful. And I think if people start thinking about, you know, redefining success or defining success on an individual level instead of just whatever you get taught. Like, to be successful, you need a job. Right. That's nine to five, and you work extra yes. hours, and you kill yourself, and then you retire young, maybe, if you're lucky. Right. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. There are many different paths, and I don't think it's really fair that we sort of pigeonhole ourselves from really young. And that's what I feel exactly. And, yeah, just opening up a person's perspectives to say, yeah, that path that your parents are talking about is one, mm -hmm. and another path that other people have gone on and have been successful is another. Like, just because you weren't introduced to it by your parents doesn't make it invalid or just because our society is more in favor of one path doesn't make another path invalid. It yeah. just, yeah, you just have to open up your perspective and just be open to seeing other options. Yeah. Explore like, your world. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Well, I think I'm going to let you go now. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Ryan. Thank you for taking the time. <laughs> My pleasure, too. Hey, thanks for reaching out. I'm glad I could help. And yeah, hopefully some nuggets, some nuggets there. Definitely some nuggets. Somebody out there can take, run with my mega vision. Yeah. And uproot, uproot <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> clean it up. Like Yannick said, clean it up. Clean it that's up. That's all that's needed. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Thanks so much. And have a great rest oh, cool. of your day. So there you have it, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. I'm really happy and so grateful that you could stop by and give a listen to the show. Be sure to sign up for updates so you don't miss any episodes. Follow us on Twitter and we'll give you we'll keep you totally up to date with all the happenings on the show. New episodes will be here every other week on Saturday, same time, same place. Thank you again so much for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your day, evening, week, weekend, whatever it is for you. Have a great one. Until next time. Bye-bye.